You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. And the title of my sermon today is simply titled, I'm in, I'm yours. I'm in, and I'm yours. And the scripture that we're going to be focusing on, the story that we're going to be focusing on, is going to be found in John chapter 6. Starting in verse 66, oh my goodness, look at that number. How dare we bring that number into church? And we're going to read to verse 69. And I find it fitting that this number that everybody knows inside and outside of church, what is known as the scary mark of the beast, the scripture says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Praise God. What a great sermon. But look at verse 67. Then Jesus said to his 12, his select group, the the core group, do you also want to go away? Verse 68. But Simon Peter, one of the 12, answered Jesus and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And verse 69 says, also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now you can go back in your own time and read the full story in John chapter 6. I'll give you just a, a quick uh, snippet of it. Um, what was the thing in high school that you read? The cliff notes that you had to pay for, but if you could scour the internet good enough, you could find just enough to pass the test on Monday. So let me give you the cliff notes of John chapter 6. Jesus is speaking in front of the Jewish people, in front of a congregation. There are religious people there. There are friends and family there. There are other disciples, not the 12, but other people who were following Jesus. And he starts preaching. He starts teaching. He starts talking about some things that nobody had heard about, nobody had ever experienced before, and it got the Jewish people scratching their heads, questioning and wondering, what is this guy talking about? Because in the middle of this conversation in John chapter 6, Jesus makes the statement that you need to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Praise God. Amen. And what if the pastor came up to church today and everybody take a bite out of my arm before you leave, it's going to change your life. You, like a lot of the disciples here, would get up and walk out the church. Nope, I'm done. This is, this is not. But they didn't understand what he was talking about. They didn't understand what was going on. Praise God that we're on the other side of the cross. We're on the side where we have the Bible, where we can read, study, and figure out what Jesus is actually talking about. We understand in communion, we understand Jesus dying on the cross, offering up his body as a sacrifice so that he could take care of his sins. That through his blood, shedding of blood, our sins were forgiven. We can understand those things. But at the time when he's speaking these things and he's telling them, come take a bite of my arm and drink of my blood, a lot of the religious leaders, a lot of his disciples, a lot of people said, whoa, that's, that's where I draw the line. This church is getting too crazy. This God thing is too much. There's too much going on. It's really weird. I'm leaving. People start filing out of the church. And Jesus looks around to his 12 faithful. In the story where we jump into, he asks them the question, the same question that I'm asking you today. He says, are you in or are you out? Am I yours or are you going to go find somebody else? And Peter, if you read the Gospels, if you read the story, Peter is the disciple that always talks. 
He's the one that's always going to make a comment. He's the one that's always going to run his mouth at the inopportune time. He's the one that, that wants to be the favorite, the teacher's pet. And he says, I'm in. Where else am I going to go? I gave up fishing. I left my family. I left everything to follow you. You have the words of eternal life. And he says, I, know, I believe and I know that you are the Son of God. The Jewish people had been believing and hearing prophecy after prophecy about a Messiah that was coming. And they thought through the prophecies and all the different texts that the Messiah was going to come and rebuild a new kingdom. He was going to be the King David that would build a new temple, that would build a new kingdom, and that would overthrow the Romans. But that's not who this Jesus was. He was saying if you want to be greatest in the kingdom, you've got to be the servant of all. He's saying things that are contrary to the religious leaders at the time. And it's questioning, is this the Messiah? Is this the king that we have been waiting for and we have been believing for? And the king that I've been waiting on and believing for is asking me to take a bite out of his arm. Are you in or are you out? It's a question. It's a theme that has gone on throughout history. This is not the first time this question has ever been posed in humanity. We can look in the scriptures in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. In Joshua, the Israelites have left slavery in Egypt. They have been taken through the desert by Moses. They have been given a new leader, Joshua. Joshua has helped them conquer the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And now Joshua is on his deathbed, and he's giving his last words of wisdom to the children of Israel. And he says in his speech... And it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was asking at the very beginning, are you in or are you out? Who are you planning to serve in 1 Kings chapter 18 as we go down the timeline of history 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 21 there's a prophet on the scene to the Israelites to the Jewish people and he's been prophesying as he's coming against the wicked king the king that is serving this god called Baal and it all comes to a head it all comes to a crescendo where they are about to battle on this mountaintop there's one prophet of God prophet Elijah, and there's over 450 prophets and servants of Baal, and they're coming together to decide who has the best God. The biggest pay-per-view event of the time, UFC is running wild. We have one verse 450, one God for this other supposed God, Baal, and in front of all the people, the prophet Elijah says, he came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions. If the Lord is God, then follow him. That's pretty simple. But if Baal, this other one, follow him. But the people answered him not. We see the story of Jesus talking to his disciples in John chapter 6, asking them, are you in? Are you out? Are you following me? Or are you not? And then Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, writes in one of his letters. He's writing many letters to many different churches, and he writes two letters to the church of Corinth because they needed a lot of help. 
And so in 2 Corinthians, he writes this letter in chapter 5, verse 20. He says, now then, we, being the Apostle Paul, the, the church leaders at the time, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, as he's talking to the church, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, which he's showing that there's two different opinions. There's two different routes that you can take. You can be reconciled to God, or you can choose not to be reconciled to God. Joshua is saying, choose who you're going to serve. The gods of your fathers that were serving people in gods in Egypt, in the Amorites, or the God that brought you into the promised land. Prophet Elijah standing up in front of the people, and he's saying, who are you going to serve? The God who has helped you time after time after time, who has brought you out of all of these things, or this other random God they call Baal. Are you in or are you out? There's a theme throughout history. There's a theme between God and humanity. There's a theme between God and you and me. The simple question, are you running toward God? Are you running away from him? You see, this isn't just a sermon to the unsaved, although it is to encourage someone to get saved, but it's also an encouraging sermon to us as Christians who have been saved for many, many years. That throughout our lives, we take time in our busyness to stop and decide, am I pursuing God or am I running from Him? Is there a reason that I'm running from Him? We've been talking about, in January, we talked about a series called Having a Heart for the House, the importance of being in church. In February, we talked about a series called Why Isn't It Working and, and, and why and how and steps that we could use to use the Word of God to read this Bible and see the words come off the pages and show up in my life. I want to see God move. I don't want to just hear about Him on Sunday. I want to see Him move in my life on Monday through Saturday. I want to see a difference in my life. I want to have an encounter with God that changes me from what I'm currently going through and helping me overcome the things that is happening in my life. So this is a sermon to encourage and challenge each and every one of us to take a, a stop in our lives and ponder where we are, what we're doing, and where we're going. And in the passage that we're reading, as Jesus encourages and asks his 12 disciples, where are you going to go? In verse 68, Simon Peter answered, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? What are we doing? And we can ask this same question to each and every one of us today. Where are you going? Where are you going on this journey in life? We only get it one shot. From the moment we're born to the last breath that we take. There is no promise for tomorrow. There is no opportunity on the other side of your last breath. We get one shot on this earth, and the question that I'm asking you today is, where are you going? Just like Jesus is asking, and Peter says, I, I don't know, where am, where am I going to go? There's a story of this conversion of the apostle Paul, who originally was Saul, that we're going to see in Acts chapter 9. Before Acts chapter 9, Saul is a Pharisee, a religious leader at the time, and he's very angry at Jesus. 
not happy about what Jesus and his fellow friends and Christians are doing. Because he believes they're distorting, they're twisting, they're changing his religion. He studied the Bible as a Pharisee. It was a Pharisee's job to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Who wants that job? Yay. I can't remember how to make coffee. I can't remember what the last email said. As I'm typing it up, I've got to scroll back down. Oh, that's what they said. But as a Pharisee, you were in charge of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books. The Pentateuch, as they called it. He knew the law. He knew the rules. He knew about the coming Messiah. And this man who he thought was an imposter by the name of Jesus was killed by his people by the help of the Roman government. And they thought they got rid of the way, as they called it. They got rid of the Christians. And he was making sure that he got rid of the Christians. He was going from house to house. He was going from door to door. He was going from town to town. And he was killing Christians. And he's on the way to kill more Christians in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? It's a pretty good answer. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Verse 6 says, so he, trembling and astonished, I bet, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where am I going? What am I doing? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The apostle Paul, before his name was Saul, was on this journey, thought he was going the right way, thought he was doing the right thing, and had an encounter with God where he said, where are you going? What are you doing with your life right now? And then God, being so loving and gracious, gave him the opportunity to change his direction. You don't need to do that anymore. You don't need to kill Christians. You don't need to go after the people who are following Jesus. What you're going to do is do something different. Change your direction of where you're going. Saul was living his life and traveling what he thought was the right direction. God intervened and laid down the opportunity to go in a different direction. Now, I want you to know going in a different direction with God doesn't mean that journey is going to be easy. If you read the story of Paul as he's going out and he's... Uh, starting churches and traveling around the known world at the time, he gets into a couple of scraps throughout his life. It says that he gets whipped five different times. He gets shipwrecked and is swimming in the deep overnight, it says one time. He gets bitten by a, a, a venomous snake. He throws it off into a fire and he doesn't die. He gets stoned where he literally dies. God raises him back to life, and he walks back into the city. Imagine that. You just killed someone with your bare hands, and you walk back into the city, and a couple minutes later, that same guy comes walking through. Oh, hey, I just got to finish my sermon. If that was me, and you took me outside, and you beat me up after I got done preaching, probably wouldn't come back in here. I'd probably go home and lick my wounds, but not Paul. You see, the journey 
It's not promised that you'll have an easy journey once you say yes to God. It just means that God's on your side to help you through that journey. See, the scripture says that when you partner with God, he calls you victorious. When you partner with God, it says that when he's on your side, you don't have to fear any man. When you partner with God, it says he's going to work all things to good to him who love God and are called according to his purposes. That when you turn and decide that you're not going to be running from God, but running to God, then God partners with you and goes on that journey with you for the rest of your life. And now you have a helpmate. Now you have a helper. Now you have someone who is speaking to you, helping you, guiding you, and bringing you, even though it could be the darkest of valleys, there's the brightest of light by the name of God who's helping you. My son likes to play video games, and I played video games as a kid. And maybe you, going to the arcades or playing video games, have played racing games in the past. Mainly Mario Kart, or uh, we used to go to a, like a CC's or this pizza place. They had something called Cruising USA. I don't know if you ever remembered that uh, at, the, at the arcades. And it was this place that you would sit in. It had like a full seat and steering wheel, and you'd watch the screen, and you'd cruise through USA. But when you're playing a racing game, the object of the game is to cross the finish line. Pretty simple. Just get there and get there first as quick as you can. But in the video game, if somehow you crashed or you got turned around or whatever, there would always be a warning. Wrong way. You're not doing it right. You're losing. You're failing. You're not working. You're not winning. If you ever played Mario Kart, there was this little thing, this creature in the crowd that would, in a cloud that would come down and he'd hold up a sign that says, wrong way. Turn around. It's beeping. Because you can't win the race going backwards. You can only win the race when you're going the right way in life. And just like in the video game, when you say yes to Jesus, when you say, I'm in, I'm yours, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And it says in the Bible that the Holy Spirit has different names. He's your helper. He's your guide. He's your comforter. And you have somebody who can help you, just like the video game says, you're going the wrong way. Turn around. This way is going to end in death. This way is going to end in destruction. It's not going to work. Turn around and go the right way. That we have a guide inside of us when we say yes to Jesus that helps us on the journey so that we can win. That we can win here in life. And not go through the pains and the troubles and the trials and the tribulations of life. But we can also win on the other side of life when we close our eyes on earth and open our eyes in heaven. I'm in. I'm yours. The next question that we can pull from the text is what words are you following? What words are you following? Peter says in John chapter 6 verse 68 when he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He makes a very defining statement here. You have the words. He doesn't add a list of people. You and Buddha and the president and social media and my spouse and my doctor, they all have the answers to eternal life. No, Peter makes the distinction that there is one person who has the words for eternal life, and that's Jesus. And so the question that we can pull from this after we ask ourselves, where are you going? What words are you following? What words are you following? If Peter makes the distinction that Jesus is the only one that has the words of eternal life, 
then that means all the other words are temporary. All the other words that we hear are fleeting. They can't save my soul. They can't help me. They can't heal me. They can't restore me. They might help me temporarily, but they won't fulfill me. They won't bring me to the finish line. They won't help me all the way through. The beautiful thing about having eternal words means they extend past the natural. That God's words extend past the natural. That's why we believe that God still heals. That's why we believe that God can raise the dead. That's why we believe that God can push past this physical life that we live and there can be an encounter with him in the physical but also in the spiritual. As the scripture says, I can lay hands on the sick and that they must recover. There's nothing special about these hands, but there's eternal words that can be spoken into people's lives that can help transform them physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that can change the worst of addicts into the most loving person. The person who has the most hard, angry soul can be released in freedom because he's the one who has eternal words. And if he has the eternal words, then those are the words that I want to hear. I want to hear your words. I want you to encourage me. I want you to tell me how good I did or, or how much I can improve in life. I, I want my spouse to speak life into me. I want my church family, my friends and family to speak life into me. But what I really need is Jesus' words because those words are eternal. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, the writer of Hebrews writes this statement. In having been perfected, he's talking about Jesus, he being capitalized, Jesus became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So how does Jesus have the words for eternal life? Well, because he's the author. In the scripture, it says he's the beginning, he's the end, he's the first, he's the last. He's the author of eternal salvation. So if he's the author, then he's the one that's pinning the words of eternal life. In the original text, that word obey him means to follow someone like a subordinate, like in the military, where a general's speaking to you and telling you what to do, which makes sense because if you read earlier in the chapter of Hebrews chapter 2, Jesus is actually called the captain of your salvation and my salvation. So Jesus is called the captain of your salvation, and he is, as a captain, speaking to you words of eternal life as the author of your eternal salvation. Isn't that a beautiful scene? How much Jesus loves you, how much Jesus cares about you, that he wants to encourage you, he wants to speak to you, he wants to tell you the right path, the right route that you can go to have the best life, although it rains on the just and unjust. Bad things happen to good people. He wants to help you maneuver through this crazy thing called life. And he wants to give you words of eternal life at every point in turn. Because he's the author. He's writing your book. And he's also your captain. He also wants to teach you, encourage you, and show you. There's a, a, a game uh, that my wife got me hooked on, and I think a couple of our family members as well, that's popular called Wordle. I don't know if you've heard of it. It got bought by uh, one of the newspapers, Times. I was going to say Times Roman, but that's a font. <laughs> they probably use that. But 
If you've never played Wordle, it's a simple game. It's a simple concept that you have six attempts to guess a five-letter word. So you just write in any five letters, and you want to find out how good or bad your vocabulary is, try and write in five letters to make one word, and you'll be like, no, I don't know what that, I've got no idea. But as you put in each guess, the words, the word will tell you if you're right. There's different colors that show you if the words are correct for that word or if they're in the right placement. And then you have six attempts. Throughout playing this game for the last week or two, you get to do it once a day. I have never put in the first word and gotten it right. Just haven't done it yet. But I also haven't put in the first word, it's shown me that it's wrong, and then turn my phone off and walk away. And be like, well, I guess that doesn't work. Doesn't make sense. I'm done with it. I keep plugging in different letters to make the different words till I finally get the right answer. You see, so many people in life have tried church once. They prayed once. They asked God to show up once, and he didn't show up. And instead of trying again, instead of looking for another word of eternal life from Jesus, they get up and they walk out. And they say, you know what, I'm done with religion. I'm done with church. I'm done with God. I'm done with this guy, Jesus. He didn't help me, so I'm not going to help him. I'm done. The first attempt. But I want to encourage you today to pick those words back up. Try again. You might have to rearrange the words. You might have to try and figure out a brand new word in your life. But don't give up on Jesus just because it didn't work the first time. He has the words of eternal life. It is the only thing that can save you, the only thing that can help you, the only thing that can fulfill you. What words are you listening to? What words are coming into you? We've talked about the word of God and and the seeds being planted in your life all last month. What words are you listening to? Because if it's not life, And it's not coming from Jesus. Jesus loves you. He cares about you. He's rooting you on. He says in the scriptures that he's interceding for you right now. He's up in heaven praying for you. He's up in heaven moving angels and sending people and moving this and that to help you in your time of need. He says he's ever present in your time of need. And let's finish this off making the decision that I'm in and I'm yours. Peter makes the statement at the very end of our passage in verse 69, also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. A lot of times we get that flipped. I've got to know everything before I believe i got to know it all. i got to figure it out. You've got to explain it to me, A to Z, and then I'll believe. That's not what Peter's saying. Christianity's a little bit different. you got to believe first. Scripture says you got to come as you are. Sin, broken, tired, angry, ugly, nasty, wanting to do the right thing, failing, succeeding, 
in whatever state you're in right now is the state that God wants to accept you. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to know this entire book like the Pharisees. You don't have to be sitting on the front row, the back row, give a certain amount of money before you're allowed to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Like Peter says, I believe and then I know that you're the son of God. It's so crazy. Peter's saying this right after Jesus just told them, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Peter says, that's, that's crazy, Jesus. That's, I just want you to know that's real crazy. But I believe you because of the things that you've done and the encounters that we've had and the things that you've said to me and how much you love me and how much you care for me. I'll believe you and I'll figure that out later. I'll figure out how to eat your flesh and drink your blood. I'll figure out what healing looks like in salvation and heaven and hell and speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit. I'll know all that later. But first, I'm going to just believe you. I'm just going to believe that you're the Messiah, that you're the King, that you're the King of kings, that you're the Lord of lords, that you are who you say you are. And I'll know all that stuff later. Because the scripture says you'll know the truth, and the truth is the thing that will set you free. You see, there's a story in John chapter 11. Jesus has a really good friend who got sick while he was out of town, and he died by the name of Lazarus. And his, friend, his, his sister sent a letter to Jesus and said, hey, you got to come back here. Lazarus, your friend, is sick, and he's going to die. Well, he doesn't get there in time, and Lazarus dies. And Jesus shows back up on the scene, and there is a full-blown funeral going on. There are people that are crying, that are screaming, that are hooping, that are hollering. There's family in town. There's people in town. And they hear that the one who raises the dead has entered into their city. And one of the sisters takes off running to Jesus. She says, where were you? Can't we all put ourselves in the same shoe as that sister? The pain, the hurt, the disappointment. Jesus, I prayed to you. I asked you to do this, and you didn't do it. Where were you? And because you didn't show up, my life is now this. And Jesus makes the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, bring me to him. And they bring him to the graveyard. He's been dead for four days. And we'll pick up the story as he's standing in front of the tomb in John chapter 11, verse 43. Now, when he, being Jesus, had said these things, you can read what he says before that, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, the dead one, come forth. And verse 44 says, And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, Loose him and let him go. You see, at this funeral for the last four days, People had been crying Lazarus' name. People had been sharing stories and saying, remember when Lazarus did this? Remember when we were fishing and Lazarus fell in the lake? That was funny. Remember when Lazarus burnt the pizza? That was a funny story. I can't believe Lazarus is dead. I'm going to go to the tomb and pay my respects to Lazarus. Lazarus, you died too young. Why aren't you alive? And so many people were crying out and yelling Lazarus' name, and he didn't move a muscle. But the man with the words of eternal life showed up on the scene. 
and the man named Lazarus who was going the completely wrong way to death. It's a pretty wrong way. He had no more dreams. He had no more beliefs. He had nothing that he could do. He was dead and not able to move. And the man with the eternal life showed up on the scene and said, Lazarus, today I'm going to change your direction. You were going the way of death for eternity. And everybody else screamed his name and he didn't move a muscle. And Jesus showed up and said, Lazarus, come forth. And all of a sudden, the dead man, who had no life in him, who had no will to live, who had nothing going for him, stood up and started walking away from the tomb, away from the grave, away from the death, away from the destruction, and walked into life, standing before the man with all the authority, with all the power. Lazarus, come forth. Scholars believe that Jesus' words are so powerful, so full of eternal life, that if Jesus would not have said a specific name and would have just said the statement, come forth, all of the graves would have opened. So Jesus had to be very selective and very specific when he was declaring who was coming back to life. And he had to attach a name to it because if he wouldn't have, everybody in the tombs would have started, oh, me, that's me, nope, I'm taking that one. He said, come forth, you stay, I'm going. Not you, Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. And completely changed the whole cycle of his life. Dead, no dreams, no place to go. Jesus says, where are you going? That doesn't seem like a fun road. Why don't you come my way? Why don't you listen to my words? Why don't you make the decision today that I'm in? I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold, but I'm yours I'm yours. I'm yours. I don't understand it all. It doesn't make sense to me. It's crazy, to be honest, that you would flood the whole earth in Genesis, that David would kill a giant named Goliath, that God would send his son to the earth, but by way of a virgin woman, that he would live on this life for 33 years, and then he would die on a cross but he wouldn't stay dead. He would come back from life. And by him dying on the cross, somehow it took care of my sins in 2022. And then he ascended on high. And then he sent his Holy Spirit back down. So when I say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes inside of me. He has gifts that he wants to give me that I can speak in tongues, that I can have and prophesy. I can heal the sick. I can raise the dead because of who's inside of me. And that one day, Jesus is coming back and splitting the clouds, whether I die here or he takes me up into heaven. I won't die and burn in hell, but I'll live in eternity. You don't have to understand any of that. You just have to believe him. And you'll know all that later to make the decision that I'm in and I'm yours. So as I finish today, as I shut my mouth and I shut my Bible, would you like to play? That'd be nice. You're not here. I love a little music. Cute. She's never in here, so... As we finish today, I just want to encourage you, invite you, give you the opportunity to make the decision. I'm in. I don't understand it, Jesus. I don't understand this whole Christian thing. Church weirds me out. Giving weirds me out. The people I'm sitting next to weird me out. 
I don't know. I don't have to know it all. I just have to believe it. It's an easy process. It's not a weird process. The Bible says that it can only happen one way, in one way only, and that's by believing, having faith in Jesus, in what Jesus did. We believe and we call it the gospel message. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4 lays out the gospel message that you have to believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried in the tomb and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You believe that. You don't have to know it. You don't have to understand it. You believe it. The knowing part will come down the line the more you get into this thing. But you might be sitting there today thinking, why? What are the perks of me saying yes to Jesus? I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not even asking you to come back. I'd like you to. Please do. But let me tell you some benefits. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, if you believe on him, he will give you eternal life. He'll give you eternal life. It's a pretty good gift. I believe on you. You give me eternal life. We believe, as Christians, that there are only two places to go when you die. I didn't make this up. I didn't invent it. Honestly, I don't even like it. But it's what God did. Hell was created for the devil and his demons. It was not created for mankind. But it exists for people who don't believe in Jesus. But there's also another place called heaven where God exists. And for those that believe on him, like John 3 says, you get eternal life. Maybe that's not a good enough benefit. I understand. We need more in America. I need to upsize it. Give me a Big Mac, extra fries. In Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter is preaching to the Gentile people. Cornelius at his household. And he gives us another benefit. He says, if you believe on Jesus, then you will receive the full remission and forgiveness of your sins. That there is a God in heaven who knows all things that you've done. But when you believe on Jesus, it says that God makes the choice to forget your sins and remember them no more. Never hold them against you ever again. The ones you've done in the past, the ones you're doing right now, and even the ones in the future, God makes the choice when you believe on his son to just forget them. And all that he sees is you. He doesn't see your lies. He doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see your insecurities. He doesn't see any of that. He removes all of that. He chooses to forget it. And what you receive when you believe on him is full remission and forgiveness of sins. Where, where God says, Jesus paid the price for you, and that's enough for me. And I love you for who you are. And I'll help you as you go along your journey. Maybe that's not good enough. Let me give you a third one. A third benefit. In Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul is writing to the church of Rome, the Gentile church, and he tells them, if you believe on Jesus, then you will be in right standing with God. God the creator, God of the universe, God who we believe in Genesis says light be and light was, God who spoke and the world was created. He created planets all the way down to the cell. 
that God who used to be angry. And then he sent his son to die on the cross for all of humanity. And God decided to just get over it. Decided to just get happy and love his people. And he says, if you believe on what my son did, I'll give you eternal life. I'll forgive you of all your sins. And you'll be in right standing with me. And the scripture says that when you believe on him, you can walk boldly into his throne room. It says in the scriptures, when you believe on him, you can call God, the creator of the universe, father. He sees you as a son and daughter. We all have kids. How much do you love your kids, good, bad, or ugly? It's the same way that God loves you. You see, this moment right here is not about God making up his mind about you. Today, right now in this moment, God is is not sitting on the throne looking at each and every one of us wondering, should I save them? Should I love them? Should I care about them? No, no, no. This moment right here is you making a decision about God. You see, God's already decided what he thinks about you. He loves you. He did that back when he sent Jesus. For God so loved, he gave. And he gave his son over 2,000 years ago, before you were ever even thought of before your great-great-great-great-great-grandparents were even thought of, he died on the cross for you. Hoping, praying, believing that one day you would be sitting right here, staring at this decision, asking yourself, where am I going? Is the direction that I'm currently going, is it successful? Is it winning? Is it good? Or do I still feel empty inside? And God says, what if you just decided to turn toward me? And I'll help you. I'll bring peace to that moment. I'll bring clarity to that. I'll heal that. I'll restore that. He loves you. You see, God is a great course corrector. Doesn't matter how far you've gone in the opposite direction. He's great at picking somebody up. It says he pulls us out of the miry clay, and he says he puts our feet on solid ground. He's just asking you to believe. Where are you going? Quit running from him. It's time to run to him. What words are you listening to? Quit listening to those negative thoughts. Not just from the outside, but the inside. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. If God truly knew, if I truly let God into this area, how much he'd be disappointed in me. He doesn't care about any of that. He just cares about you. Today's the day. I'm in. I'm yours. What I'm going to do, I don't need you to raise your hand. I don't need you to come down to the altar. I don't need you to do all these things. I'm just going to lead us all in a prayer that we're all going to say. There's nothing special about the prayer. Honestly, I don't have a set sinner's prayer that I say over and over again. Because it's not the prayer that saves you. We just saw that. It's believing in him. That's all it is. That you have a moment with God, your creator, right here, right now. Whether you've never been saved before, this is your first time saying, God, I'm in. I don't understand it, but I'll start here and we'll just see what happens. Or maybe you've been in church for years. You got saved a long time ago and you haven't been playing for the team. You haven't been showing up to practice. You've just been running out there all these ways and God's saying, come back. Come back. Come play. Come get involved. To just say, you know what? I'm in again. I once was, but I've been away. I got hurt. I got tired. I got frustrated. I left. 
but I'm in. Today, God, I'm yours. So y'all can close your eyes. Let's just have a moment with God. I'm just going to say some words, and you just repeat them after me. Have a moment with God. Some call it rededicating your life. Some people call it getting saved for the first time. However you need to, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. If you've never prayed before, and help you have a conversation with God. So repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I ask you to come into my heart. I choose today to say, I'm in. I'm yours. Accept me. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins that you were buried in a tomb, and three days you rose again. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and put me in right standing with the Father. Today, I'm yours. Today, I'm in, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for saving me. I don't have to know it all, but I believe you today. Today, I am saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up as we get ready to head out. Father, I just thank you for these people, each and every one of them, that, Father, you help them, you speak to them, you encourage them on their walk with you, that, God, you just want to have a relationship with each and every person here. I don't know where they've been. I don't know where they're going, but at this moment, I know that we've given them an opportunity to have a course correction, to have an encounter with you, to be in your presence and experience you. Whether it's the first time they've been saved and ever, ever prayed or called upon your name, or it's the millionth time where they've made a decision, I'm in. I've been running for too long. I've been hiding for too long. I've been too frustrated. I've been doing it on my own, and I need you. Father, you know what's going on in these people's lives, and they need your help. They need your hand. They need your direction. Speak to them this week. Let them know where they're going. Give them an idea on the next step of their life, the new season that they're stepping into. Father, I pray for each and every one of them. Your scripture says that they are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Father, your scripture says that they have the mind of Christ. Father, your scripture says that they have the favor of God, and not only do they have favor with God, but also with man, and the favor of God surrounds them like a shield. Father, you gave them the name of Jesus, and that at that name, every knee must bow, every tongue must confess that you are Lord, and today we bow our knee to you, saying that you're the Lord of our lives. I'm in. I'm in. I'm yours, God. I don't know what tomorrow brings, good, bad, or ugly, but I'm yours and I'm on this journey with you. Help me, lead me, guide me. Help these people, lead them and guide them. Father, bless each and every person as they go about their day, as they go about their week. Father, miracles, signs, and wonders happen in their lives starting today. Miracles, signs, and wonders that they can say, only God did this. I don't know how, I don't know when. I wasn't expecting this. I've been praying for this, and I haven't seen the fruition of it. But today, miracle signs and wonders happen to show and prove that you love them and that you care for them. And that will testify. Look what God has done. I'm in. 
I'm yours. Now, Father, bless, protect, keep your people safe. Cause them to prosper in everything they do and bring them back safely next Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you, family. We'll see you all next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.